Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Our text for the series we've been on is in Luke chapter 17, and uh, it's just one verse. Turn over there and let's read it together. Luke 17 Verse number one, Jesus then said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. He said it's impossible to live this life and not have offenses come to you. Offense, offense, uh, uh, things that, that come to you that the enemy has designed to trip you up. People, because we're all human, People will cause you problems from time to time. Anybody, has anybody learned that? Amen. Well, Jesus said it's impossible that, uh, to go through life and these things not come. But if you skip down to verse number three, he says, take heed to yourselves. You know, it's, it's not, we don't need to take heed to the other guy. The person through whom the offense comes, that's not who, who we have to take heed We have to take heed to ourselves. Amen. Because in the final analysis, it really isn't what somebody else does. It's what we do. (laughs) How many of you uh, have read the serenity prayer? I read a new new version of that this week that I really like. It said, God, give me the serenity to change the people I can change, the courage to change the one that I can, and the wisdom to know it's me. Isn't that good? Amen. That's, that's who we need to focus on. We need to focus on ourselves. It's all about, in this case, it's all about us. It's all about how we respond when things come our way to trip us up. Amen. Like I said, it, it, uh, 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 it'll, it'll cause you to lose the right focus and, and to have your mind divided like Mark was talking about tonight. If you're, if you're focused on the wrong, if the enemy can keep you focused on something other than the source of the trouble, then you stay in bondage. Amen. And so um, uh, we need to be aware of these things. We also looked at a couple of scriptures. We looked over in uh, uh, Ephesians. We won't look at all of them, but this one we looked at in Ephesians. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Let me find my verse. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We know that this this word wiles means uh, uh, crafty scheming. I have this written real small in my Bible, so it's hard for me to read. Crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. The devil is always scheming because he does not have the overt power to overcome you. He doesn't. He doesn't doesn't have the power in himself by his own actions. That's what I mean by overt. He 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 doesn't possess the power or the authority to do anything to you or to, to injure you, to, to uh, 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 take your victory from you or to cause you to not to be a success. He doesn't have that right. He doesn't have, because Jesus stripped him of that 
And we were raised up and seated together with Christ far above him. So he knows that, but he is crafty. And so he's always trying to deceive. He's always trying. He brings little schemes, little things, uh, uh, points of attack into our life to get us off of our game, to get us to take a, to, to act uh, in, in a way that's not from who we are in Christ, but to act out of our natural man to react out of the impulses of the flesh, to act out out of our emotional response rather than acting out of our spirit from our inward man based on who we are in Christ. If he can get us to act out of some other, from some other place than where we are seated together with Christ, who we are in Christ, then he can, he can hold us in bondage. It's when we stay in the realm of the spirit, stay in the realm of the word, and act according to what we know from the Bible, that then uh, we have it made. Amen. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the, of the devil. For The next verse says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then he talks about taking up the whole armor of God. So again, he emphasizes the whole armor of God. We have to take up the whole armor of God. If you lay off any part of the armor, you're going to be uh, 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 open to the devil getting in. But if you put on the, you know, somebody said it like this, you put on the whole armor of God. If you're clothed in the whole armor of God, the devil really doesn't know that it's not God in that armor because you just look like God. Amen. So we're to put on the whole armor of God. And... um, some people get all taken with this idea of spiritual warfare and they take this verse for we wrestle not against you know, flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities of powers, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this age and the uh, uh, spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places and they get all ratcheted up you know, and all excited and, and, uh, and, and event or, or invent all of these different uh, 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 ways that we're supposed to wrestle and fight against the host of darkness, and they're taken up with the with the wrestling, and they fail to to see that what we're wrestling against is not even these principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, this age, spiritual host of wickedness in the in the heavenly places. Our wrestling against them is not against their power, but against their deception. He said, take, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the de- deceptions, the schemes. That's all principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's all they have are schemes of trickery and deceit. And if we know what they're doing, then we can stand against them. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, one of the, one of the biggest things that... Uh, uh, Satan uses to ensnare people is, is the trap of offense. We pointed out that in Luke 17, 1, where it says, Jesus said it's impossible uh, that no offense has come. That word offense is the word uh, scandalon, and it, we get the English word scandal or scandalous from that, scandalon. And in the original Greek, what it meant, it applied to a trap that has been set, but specifically, it's the bait inside the trap. 
That's, that's, that's what this verse is actually talking about. The bait inside of a trap. You know, for a trap to be effective, it has to have one of two uh, things going for it. It has to be hidden and it has to have bait. Well, in this case, uh, offense is often hidden and, and, the, and the offense itself, the, the taking of offense, the thing that's presented to you that is offensive, that's the bait. But very often, it's hidden because we don't really recognize it as such because our emotions get involved. Amen. Uh, we shouldn't be sur- surprised, you know, uh, when this happens because after all, you know, people are selfish. And people are looking out for themselves. And before you think of somebody else, think of yourself. We all have a tendency to look out for our own interests when we ought to be looking out for other people's interests in addition to our own. There's nothing wrong with looking out for your own interests as long as it's not at the expense of somebody else's interest. Isn't that right? And, uh, and because of that, conflict arises. And uh, go with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. There's a, a really important verse here. Hebrews chapter 12, let's start in verse number 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all. The word, if in your Bible, if you see the word people or the word men, that word's in italics, it's been added. I, I like to just say it like this, pursue peace with all. That means everybody all the time. Pursue peace with all. Uh, and you know, you have to pursue peace. It seems that some people are always eager to uh, be on the opposite side of making peace. Have you ever noticed some people are always in the middle of a, of a controversy? Amen. They're, 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 they're always one that's quick to pick up, you know, some uh, uh, controversy or something that, that someone's upset about. I've found that half the time, at least, most of the people in the church that are offended get offended for somebody else. Somebody else got offended or somebody, or they think somebody else get, should be offended and they go to them and tell them how, how they need to be more offended than they are. <laughs> well, amen. He said, uh, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. He said, look carefully. Be very careful when it comes to root a root of bitterness. I, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but one thing I endeavor to do is I endeavor to keep bitterness out of my heart. Because bitterness starts out as, as just a, a, a little small root of just a little sting, a little something that somebody says or does that you take note of, that you don't like. And that, that, that little root of bitterness, if you leave it in your life and don't pull it up, it'll grow. It'll grow. 
And it says, he says here that when it springs up, it causes trouble and many people are defiled by it. Amen. I've seen a little root of bitterness, just some little something that didn't even amount to anything. I've seen it spring up inside a church and infect more and more people until it split churches. I've actually seen that. I've had pastors talk to me about things that were going on in the church and whenever you traced it, it it was some little something that somebody took and begin to work on and blow out of proportion. They begin to share it. More people begin to nurse it. And before you know it, it divided an entire church. Amen. A little root of bitterness. He said, be careful about that. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. What does that mean, fall short of the grace of God? Well, you know, you can fall short of the grace of God. I said, you can fall short of the grace of God. You must can. Because he said, look carefully uh, lest you fall short. So it must be possible to fall short of the grace of God. What does it mean to, to fall short of the grace of God? When you get over on the devil's territory, when you begin to yield to him, when you begin to pick up things on the inside of you that you ought not pick up and begin to nurse those things, you put yourself on the devil's territory. You put him. You put yourself uh, on his level, on his territory, and even though grace is available, you forfeit that. God has to, has to allow the fruit of your actions to come to pass. He doesn't want to, but he has to. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, don't give place to the devil? Let's go over there and look at it. Look at the, uh, in Ephesians. Excuse me, chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. The margin of my Bible says, do not give the devil any opportunity. Do not give the devil any opportunity. Well, he's always looking for opportunity. And when we give him opportunity, then he has opportunity. And, and it's, not, it's not, you can't blame the devil because we're the ones who gave it to him. Amen. He said, uh, do not, he said, be angry and do not sin. You know, you can, you can be uh, angry with somebody. In other words, you can have something that happens that angers you, but how do you react then? How do you respond? Do you respond out of that anger or do you respond out of the love of God? See, if you re- respond out of the love of God, then, then that anger doesn't cause you to sin. Then he said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? Does that mean we can be mad as all get out, you know, during daylight? <laughs> during daylight saving signs, we have another extra hour or two that we, can, that we can be angry with somebody? No, that's not what that's talking about. You remember over in, in Revelation where uh, uh, Jesus was, was uh, talking to the, he had messages, you know, to the seven churches? And to one of the churches he talked about, I think it was Thyatira, he talked about, uh, he said, you have that Jezebel in, in your midst. And he said, I gave her 
room to repent, but she did not repent. And so because of that, I cast her into a bed of affliction. Now think about that. He said, I gave her room to repent. What does that mean? I gave her time. I gave her opportunity. I gave her time to repent, but she didn't repent. Do you realize there's there's a time There's a time given to us when we're in error. There's a time given to us. God will give us an opportunity to repent. But you know, eventually that opportunity, that time runs out. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your eyes. Don't let your opportunity go by. Don't let your time to repent pass you by. Don't let the sun go down. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's not talking about the natural sun. Like I said, he's not saying that you can be, you know, all, you know, uh, flustered, you know, during the daylight hours and then just get over it before nightfall. That's not what he's talking about. He said, don't let, he's saying, don't let that opportunity that God gives you to make it right. He said, don't, don't, don't let that pass away. Because you see, God gives us, when, we're, when we are in uh, disobedience, in some measure or another, God is gracious towards us. He's very gracious. He gives, he gives us plenty of opportunity. He deals with us. He, he, he gives the pastor messages that, that deal with what you're going through and, and warns you and the Spirit of God talks to you. Other people say things to you and, and you have witness after witness after witness. You need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. Well, you know, if you won't deal with it, eventually, eventually you forfeit the grace of God in that area. You can sin against the grace of God. Now, I know a lot of grace preachers, and I didn't intend to talk about grace tonight, but I know a lot of, a lot of people, and this is, where the, this is where the rub comes in. There are a lot of people that have the idea, and they preach that under grace, no matter what you do, you are always forgiven, even, even while in the act of disobedience, while in the very act of committing sin. And I'm going to talk about something that you don't know about. I'm talking about even, even if you're consciously disobeying God, that even in the act of consciously and willfully disobeying God, all your sins have been placed on Christ. He took them all, bared them all, bore them all, and you're forgiven. And that you stand in a constant state of forgiveness. Well, that couldn't possibly be true. Amen. Uh Go back to Hebrews. Go back to the 12th chapter. Verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now, is this talking about Old Testament or New Testament? Have to be talking about New Testament because in the Old Testament they weren't sons. They were servants. This is talking about sons of God. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastising, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful, joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the Lord does chasten his own. Well, if, if you, now, if you understand forgiveness like I do, that when God forgives something, it's gone. God does not remember our sins. When God forgives something, he never remembers it again. He, he, he's, that's just, that's a limitation he's put on himself. He said, your sins and in your iniquities, I will remember no more. Well, then if, if, if he doesn't remember that if he's forgiven you and he doesn't remember, how does he then chasten you? What would he be chasing you for? How, how would he be chastening you for something that he doesn't know you did? And as far as he's concerned, you didn't do because you're forgiven. You see, Bible subjects, Brother Hagin always explained it like this, and it's a perfect example. He said, Bible subjects are often like a mountain. And he said, you know, you can, you can approach a mountain from the south or from any, you know, any angle, and you look at that mountain. You could set, you know, you could set a, 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 a tripod up if, up if you were an artist, and you could paint a picture of that mountain. If you were given to that, you could paint it, you know, and just that's that. You see it. And everybody that sees the picture said, oh, yeah, that's that mountain. But, you know, somebody on the north side of that mountain, same mountain, he has a tripod set up there. And, you know, he's got a, a, an easel and, and a canvas and he's painting. And you, t- you look at the two pictures, they don't even look the same at all. There's nothing about them that look the same. And it's the same mountain. You can, you can find somebody on the, on the west side of the mountain and they'll have some bits of, of both pictures in theirs, but it still won't be the same. Bible, a lot of Bible truths are that way. There, there are things in the word of God, there are statements on certain subjects that are so clear that you cannot misunderstand them. And yet... In other places in the same Bible and even in the same covenant, you'll find other statements that seem to contradict. Now, I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. But I do believe that our understanding of the whole truth is imperfect. And very often we don't see how the different things that the scriptures say about the same subject sometimes that seem to disagree. We don't understand how they balance one another out. They just seem like they're in conflict. What a lot of people are doing today on the grace message 
is they have one view. They've taken some very powerful scriptures and some very wonderful truths, and they've said, this is the whole truth concerning grace. And those scriptures that I have, I have pointed out to people, yeah, but, but brother, what about this verse? Your interpretation of these, these grace uh, scriptures, your interpretation is in direct conflict to something I read over here. What I read over here absolutely challenges and, and, and uh, presents a different picture than what, you're, than what you're presenting. The reaction has been to change the meanings of all those other passages. They, they explain them away, that that's not what it's saying. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll even say, well, that, those scriptures don't even belong to, in the Bible. They're, they don't even belong to the church. New Testament epistles, you know, the epistles were written to the church. And I've had people tell me, yeah, but that passage is, is not written to Christians. They say, well, it's written to, to the Gnostics or it's written to some of, well, but nowhere does it say that. See, my job as a Bible teacher is to not, is, my job is not to try to make all the scriptures say the same thing. And that's what a lot of people do. They've got one, one truth and one view of the mountain and all of the other scriptures, if it, if it doesn't line up, like I said, they, they twist, they rest the clear meaning. I mean the crystal clear. You cannot misunderstand these other verses. But they, they twist them and say, well, that, that's not what they're saying. And they go off on this rabbit trail or else they just credit that scripture completely and say it doesn't belong in the Bible. It wasn't written to the church. What they're trying to do is they want to go through the Bible and any scriptures that, that uh, uh, conflict with their view, they want to twist them to make them all say the same things as these other scriptures. That's not my job. The scriptures say what they say. I might not understand how it all fits. My job is just to declare what it says. See, my view of a, of a, of a scripture and its interpretation of a, of a scripture has to, my interpretation, of, even though it says one thing, if I take an absolutist view that this is, this is the only way to look at this topic, I'm going to get into error. I have to allow other scriptures on that same subject, it's dealing with the same subject, that shows a different side, I have to allow those other verses to temper my interpretation of this other verse. Because though, though this verse says this, I know that it absolutely can't not only mean that because I have these other scriptures over here. So like I said, these verses here cause me to temper my interpretation so that I, to the best of my ability, I have to present everything that God says about it. And sometimes, frankly, there's, there, there are some, topic, some topics that I can't explain all the time. Well, it's not my job to make up something. Or again, to try to twist things, to make them all fit a nice, neat little package. There's enough agreement in the scriptures that we can spend all of our lifetime expounding on the things that are sure, that are in agreement without getting twisted up by things that, that, that uh, 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 
uh, cause us questions. Well, when it comes to, to uh, forgiveness and grace, he said, a father is going to chastise the son's son that he loves. Well, how could, he ch- how could God chastise? He said, submit yourself to the father of spirits. How can, how can God correct me if he's already forgiven me, forgotten all about it, patted me on the back and said, you're okay? Now, do I believe that God put sickness on me? Absolutely not. Do I believe God brings uh, disasters into my life? No. Do I believe God's causing my, you know, uh, this that happened or that that happened? Is God behind those? No. Because God's a good God. When, when chast, the chastening of the Lord is involved, when God, whenever we dis, when we willfully disobey over an extended period, thank God for his grace. But over an extended period of time, the Lord has to allow the enemy to have the effect in our life because we've chosen to disobey his word. And there are consequences to disobeying God's word. We open the door to the devil. He said in Ephesians, do not give him any place. Well, that means we can give him place. We can give him place because he told us not to. If we couldn't, he wouldn't have to tell us not to. He'd just say, rejoice, the devil has no place. No, he said, do not give him any place. Well, if we give him place, eventually we will fail on the grace of God. Did you see that? Because... Because we will have let the sun go down on that particular situation. He said, don't do that. Thank God. Listen, whenever you, whenever you have the Holy Spirit dealing with you about something, deal with it. When he is, when he is touching your heart, when he's, he's, he's drawing you to, 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 uh, to do better, to change, to make something right. Listen, don't fight that. Agree with him right away. Agree with him right away because he's, there's, a, there's a, a window of grace there that's <laughs> it's much longer than I would be if I, was, if I was the one extending grace most of the time. God is very long-suffering. But eventually, you know, we have, to, we have to give an account. There is a scriptural principle of sowing and reaping. And whatever a man sows in life, you cannot continue to sow to the flesh and reap from the Spirit. You just can't continue to do that uh, over a long period of time. Well, praise the Lord. That's true anyway. Hallelujah. Look carefully, he said. Now go with me over to uh, 2 Timothy. We, we kind of touched on this verse or this passage last week, but I want to explore it a little more in depth tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's start in verse number 14. I, 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 we're going to read, read, read a lot of verses. I'm really wanting to get down to verse 23, but I think it's important to kind of set the, the uh, context here. Paul, of course, is talking to Timothy, who's a young minister. Paul's an apostle. Timothy actually was an apostle, but he was uh, 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 Paul's son in the flesh, or, or in the, uh, son in the faith, is what I meant to say. And... Um, 
Paul was instructing him about the ministry and about uh, uh, how to care for the church and so forth. In verse 14, he says, remind them, this would be believers, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. You know, words can ruin you. If you listen to the wrong words and allow those words to take root in you, they can ruin your life. He said, teach the people and remind them, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Then he goes on to tell Timothy, he said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. What I described to you just a few minutes ago, how my job is to take all the different sides of Scripture on a particular subject and let all of them shape my view. That's called rightly dividing the word. Rightly dividing the word simply is taking everything the Bible says about subject ABC, taking everything the Bible says about it, put it all together and, and, and form your understanding of that subject from all of those different verses. That's rightly dividing the word. That's not ignoring certain parts of the word because they don't fit into my pet doctrine. Amen. Uh, but shun profane and idle babblings. Words to no profit that ruin the hearers, profane and idle babblings. The margin of my Bible says empty chatter, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. I tell you, it's important to stay balanced. Where in the world did Hymenaeus and Philegius, where in the world did they get this idea that the, that the resurrection had already passed? In other words, the resurrection of the saints. How did they get that idea? You know, it couldn't have been. It, there, there, it had to have been some scriptures I mean, if, if I came in here tonight and I had a, you know, a doctrine I wanted to present and I quoted to you, you know, Buddha, you'd laugh at me. So we don't believe what Buddha said. I mean, I would have to give you scriptures in the Bible, right? Well, he said, uh, their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth. In other words, there was some truth that they started with, but they strayed from it. The truth, the truth is contained in both sides of an issue. The, the truth on a Bible subject is, is in all the different sides, all the different views of it. That's where the truth is, putting all that together. He said that they strayed concerning the truth, 
saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, that, that's interesting. He said the foundation of God stands, and it has this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Well, that fits right into the grace narrative, the hyper-extreme grace narrative. I belong to the Lord. He knows me. I'm washed in the blood. Do you see, see where that fits? The Lord knows those are his. But there's another side to that foundation. There's two parts. Yeah, the Lord knows those are his, but also let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Amen. But in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, here's the, the verses I wanted to get to. I, 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 well, anyway, those other things were necessary too. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. What is a dispute? Somebody give me another word for, for give me another word for this noun, this disputes. Give me somebody. Argument. Huh? Disagreements. Anybody else? Quarrels. That was one of the dictionary definitions. One of the other definitions was controversies. He said, avoid ignorant, foolish and ignorant arguments, controversies. You know, the thing that that makes controversies and arguments ignorant, you know what makes them ignorant? Not knowing the other side. When you only hear one side of an argument, if you get in on that, that's just ignorance. Because there's your side, there's the other guy's side, and then there's, there's the truth somewhere in the middle. He said that these kinds of things generate strife. Disputes, arguments, uh, and so forth generate, they generate strife. They're strife generators. You know what a generator does? You put, you know, if you have a gasoline generator, you pour gasoline, you crank it up. What does it do? It just, it just pours out power. I mean, it just, as long as that thing's running, it'll just keep generating. As long as disputes continue to operate, they continue to generate strife. That's why he said you need to avoid them. You know, you were coming home from Gainesville the other day and uh, you, you knew that the interstate exit down here was closed. So what did you do? You avoided it. Isn't that right? You went out of your way to go around it because you knew if you didn't avoid it, you would have to go even further out of your way. You'd have to get off of the exit where I live and turn around and go back. You have to go five miles out of your way and then turn around another five miles to get back where you were. It's 10 miles. So what did you do? You avoided it. 
You came back a different direction. When, when there is a, a dispute, people are arguing, he said, stay away from it. Stay, just stay away from it. Go right, don't, you know, you don't have to be involved in everybody's thing. You don't have to be involved in everybody's business. You don't, you don't, I, I got delivered years ago when I finally realized I don't have to have an opinion. Somebody said, what do you think about something? I always felt like I had to, I had to give what I thought. That if, you know, I had to, had to, you know, come up with some smart answer. What do you think, pastor? And I would, you know, and I'd tell people, I, 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 and it kept getting me in trouble. And, and one day it came as a real revelation to me. You know what? I don't have to have an opinion. I, I, I mean, not only did I, I not have to say anything, I really don't even have to judge it. It's none of my business. So Debbie and Lori have got something going on. One of them feels like the other one's done wrong and, and, they, and they both got, they're both yakking back and forth about it, you know, and arguing. You know what? I don't even have to, I don't even have to have an opinion. I don't have to judge it. So you say, what do you think about that? You know what? I don't know. When I learned that, that I could say, I don't know, it was such a relief. Uh, you know what? I, because I really didn't know. And all these other things that I've given, been given my opinion on, most of them, I really didn't know. I was just given an opinion because I felt like I was obligated to. When I realized I don't have to, I can just say, you know what, I don't know. It's not my, it's not my uh, affair. It's not my problem. So I'm not going to get involved in it. Well, praise the Lord. He said, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because they are strife generators. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel that's the word quarrel is the same word. It's the noun version of the word strife, generate strife. Or the word, the, the strife in verse 23 is the noun and, and 24, the word, the word quarrel is the, is the verb. Servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, apt to teach, patient. Oh boy. Easier said than done. He's talking to, to Timothy, and he said, you're the servant of the Lord, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. If I get involved in the situation, that doesn't exist, obviously, but if I got into the hypothetical uh, uh, quarrel, controversy between Debbie and, and Lori, uh, if I get involved in that, I'm going to get drawn into it. Because one of them are going to be more convincing than the other. Depending on who's better. It'd be you, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to be in it. And now I'm going to be wanting Laurie to make it right. Because Debbie has convinced me that she's right. But that would be probably ignorant of me because I don't know. Well, he said it's a strife generator. Stay away from it. But be gentle to all, 
I do my best. Able to teach to the best of my ability. Patient, I'm working on it. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, there's two different renderings of this. Some translations say at his will and some say to do his will. I think there's uh, 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 evidence for both of those readings. That they may come to their senses. You know, when, when people are in uh, uh, offense, they, they lose perspective. And you, and you don't have to look very far. I mean, just think about yourself. When you've been offended over something... You, you lose perspective. All you see is, is one side of it. And he says that, that my job or the minister's job or it could be your job if you're, if you're praying for somebody and, and, and they honestly won't help. In humility, you can correct those who are, who are in opposition if God perhaps will get, grant them repentance so they, may, so they may know the truth. Opposition to what? Opposition to the truth. See, people get, get uh, in conflict with one another and offended with one another, one another and they're really in opposition to the truth. He said that uh, they may come to their senses. That word, that expression, come to their senses, the way that's written in the Greek, it, 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 it refers to someone coming out of a drunken stupor. Waking up, you know, sort of after uh, being hung over and just, you know, kind of in a stupor. And they kind of come out of it. Well, that's, that's, what, that's what happens when people are in strife and when they're offended. They're, it's like they're, they're in this haze. They're in this zone. And everything that happens is interpreted through their offense. No matter what you say to them. If they're offended at you, there's nothing you can say. If you look at them, you looked at them wrong. If you don't look at them, you didn't look at them. You ignored them. And, and when people are offended, they interpret everything that, that anybody says, they interpret it through their offense and they, and they color everything. He said that God needs to give them repentance. You know, repentance is a gift from God. Amen. He said, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Well, well why would God only perhaps grant them repentance. Why doesn't he grant everybody repentance? Because they're not open. You're not going to be open to repentance if you're right all the time. If you have to be right, you'll never repent. If you're kind of the person that just, you know, listen, I'm right. My perspective is the only perspective and this is the way. If you're like that, you can't, God cannot get repentance to you. 
He said that they may come to their senses, wake up from this, from this drunken stupor and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will and at his will. Think about how powerful a statement that is. Is it possible for a Christian to be taken captive by the devil at his will? It shouldn't be because we've been given everything. We've been given authority over him. He has no right. See, that, that's, that's one of those two sides of the mountain. One side of the mountain is the, the devil's defeated. He has no right in our lives. We know that's true. But we see right here he takes people captive at his will and, 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 and gets them doing his will. Both of those things are true. You have to, you have to read everything in the Bible. You can't just live in, 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 in one, on one side of the mountain all of your life and be in fantasy land. The devil can take people captive. How? They got in dispute. They got in dispute. They got offended. And like I said, offense comes to everybody, but it's what we do with it. It's how we react to it. It's easy for me to avoid Debbie and, and Lori's Conflict. I can just stay away from him. It doesn't involve me. He's, he told me to do that. Avoid. Well, I can avoid offense when it comes to me. When, when I'm tempted, when somebody does something or I think they do something, says something or I heard they said something, or look at me some way and I think they meant it bad, or whatever, you know, I, I, I'm not making light of these things. These things are serious. How many times have you had something in your life that I mean was a major offense? I mean a major uh, issue in your life. And I mean it just upset you seriously. I mean enough maybe that, that you considered filing for divorce. Not serious. Or you considered leaving your church. You were so hurt. There's some things that happen that are serious. How many times have you had real serious things like that only when you came to your senses you realized, you know, it really wasn't what you thought it was. It really wasn't. It really wasn't worth it. it. really wasn't that important. Now, I'm... I'm I'm of the persuasion that most all of us, if we're, if we're honest, we'd admit we've been there. Well, when, when offense comes, instead of taking it that far, instead of giving into it, yielding to it, getting embroiled in that controversy, letting it uh, eat away in your life, ruin relationships, possibly break up your home uh, or other relationships or friendships or split you from your ch- church or in, and instead of going that far, why not just avoid it when it first comes up? Just say, I'm going to take the other route home. I don't like that traffic jam. I'm just not going to go that way. You know there's another way home? There's always another way to where you need to go. You don't have to go through that lane of offense. You don't have to go through that 
that traffic jam of offense because it's a trap. There's a trap waiting. And if you, if you knew what the trap was, it wouldn't be a trap. If you could see the devil had a, had a big, you know, painted trap on it. No, you, you know if it's, if it's strife, if it's, if it's something, gener- if, it's, if you can say, yeah, that thing's generating. You ever put your hand on a current and it's, ooh, that's generating. If something is generating strife, stay away from it. Just avoid it. That can, that can be somebody else's strife or something that's coming against you. Just avoid it. Well, I don't want to be a simpleton. I mean, I, you know, they used, Brother Hagin said, I'll close with this. He said that years ago, you know, with his pastor friends, uh, he was, you know, he, he was pastoring churches and they were always troubled churches. You know, for, I think, 12 years he pastored. You know, he was in prophet's ministry and teaching ministry, but the Lord led him pastor for 12 years. And he said every church he pastored was a troubled church. Now, you have no idea what that means unless you've been to a, this is not a troubled church. Uh, it was a troubled church where there were, there were factions and infighting and all kind of stuff. He said every church he pastored was that way. And he said, you know, in the denomination that he was in, these pastors sort of moved around, you know, a circuit, and they all pastored the same church at some time, you know. And when he'd be with some of the other pastors, they'd say, how's it going, Brother Hagen? And he'd say, it's going great, couldn't be better. He said, they told him later, we thought you were crazy. We really thought you were a little, a little short up here. He said, because we knew. We knew the families in those churches. We used to pastor there. We knew the trouble that was going on. We said, you know, we, we, we thought, poor old Brother Hagen, bless his heart. He's just, he's, just, he's just, his elevator don't go quite all the way to the top. He doesn't even have enough sense to know there's trouble in that church. Brother Hagen said, I had more sense than to, be, than to fall into the trap of that offense. He said, they thought I didn't have any sense. He said, I had more sense than all of them. Amen. Glory to God. Keep your sense. Be sensible. Amen. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.